Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Het Knight, and alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. David is not here right now, but that is okay. He will be here on the next one. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different po- different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Okay. Buy a pledge on Patreon access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show involved. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now. We had a great month last month. Back to school yes, horror did. was so much fucking fun. I had a blast with that. Bella was a great guest on Scream. Great movies. Great movies. It was a lot of fun movies that we got to watch in that. But uh, this month is a little different. Yeah, A little is. different. We are celebrating someone's birthday this month. Have we ever met this person? No. no. If we ever meet this person, we would die. From happiness. Yeah, I mean, I don't or know. Maybe, or maybe not. He'll kill us. Dude. Maybe he'll kill us. I don't know. It's It'd just, be an honor. It, it, be, it would be. <laughs> Murder <laughs> man. It would be. Um, but the things that we are actually discussing is going to be for a special birthday. And by that special birthday and the special person, this is going to be all dedicated to Stephen motherfucking King. Damn. So excited. We're going to run this for actually two months within this Obviously, some of Stephen King's uh, uh, films are turned into miniseries because they're so long because of his novels. <laughs> so with that being said, some episodes will actually have two parters um, and we'll see what episodes those are. But some episodes are going to have some two parters associated with them as well. But that's just kind of what what's going to kind of spark everything off, which I'm super excited about. But before we officially kind of begin, I did actually get a really cool email um, and this email was specifically from one of our listeners named AJ. So shout out to AJ, but I really wanted to actually kind of add something in here for AJ. Um, more specifically, AJ actually made a movie, uh, and yeah. that was, uh, from the Stephen King novel of Kane Rose Up. And it was kind of like the short story of, from the collection of Skeleton Crew. Um, and his short is called Garish and it is so cool. I, I had the opportunity to see it, and now all of you have the opportunity to see it because his uh, movie is technically going to be in the show notes as well. So the link to Garish is going to be in the show notes from AJ Gribble. Shout out to you, man. Thank you so much. He made this movie while he was 17, by the way. That's incredible. That's so fucking cool. So, yes, AJ, thank you for reaching out. And, you know, it, honestly, it's the least we can do to kind of get your uh, – your movie out there a little bit more because it's it's a fun one it's it's a fun one it's, it's definitely definitely artistic that's for sure so it was really really cool uh but thank you for that now keeping things going a little bit here the movie we're watching to start this whole month off pet cemetery first and foremost freddy thoughts i should preface pet cemetery 1989 right i should preface that uh, for, okay, for this movie, I have a lot of thoughts. And Ooh, one lot. of the biggest things is because this is one of those movies where I saw the remake before the original, and now I can finally watch the original. 
this being the first time watching this movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this is my first time watch. Oh, wow. I thought you watched... I thought you watched this right after you saw the uh, remake. No. Yeah. I mean, we I saw think the I was supposed together. to. Yeah, yeah. We, we all went to see it together and we had an interesting time and thoughts about that movie, but we won't say anything As soon about as I that. saw the beginning of that movie. It's like, oh, this <laughs> is like, different. This is not going to work. I will say this. They have a lot of similarities. Oh, yeah. A, well, obviously, it's the same so, story, <laughs> but they have like uh, the story structure a little bit different where you can see more of like the undead kid and past events that go further on that where in this movie it's like the last 30 minutes which i was actually quite surprised Mm -hmm. and i gotta say i did love this movie a lot i think there's a lot of great things in it there was some stuff that really disturbed me as well and that's kind of stuff with like the little child obviously and the the cat as it should it's like damn okay this is kind of dark it's bringing me to a dark place god damn it i'm gonna have to watch a happy film after this probably but Overall, I think the story structure and how it's made is really well done. Yeah. I think it creates tension immediately from the beginning of the movie. Uh, Just hearing the sound mixing of the trucks going by over and over again, you really feel like there's some dread coming down the line. And me knowing the story from the previous movie or the remake, um, I was like, damn, this is pretty well done. And it feels completely different from the remake. And I see why this one's like the ultimate classic one. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, the performances are great. Uh, there's some scenes where it kind of lacks a little bit, but I do love the practical effects that they were able to accomplish here as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely enjoyable. agree. Definitely agree. Yeah, it, I'm with you. I absolutely adore this movie. I think this movie is just so fantastic. Um, and I remember the, the gosh, way back in the beginning when we spoke with um, Paula, Paula Coelho. Yeah. Um, and when we spoke to her and how she said this was one of her favorite movies of all time. So it's, it, this movie's just really fucking good. Yeah. Like, it's just really good. And we're not going to talk about the remake too much. We might right. save a lot of it for the post show. Um, but with... With how this is just so different, this felt oddly more grounded. I agree. And I think the reason why is because the remake tried to add more of the Wendigo lore inside of it. Versus this, it's like none of that. You don't hear any of that. Just like the rummages of like what's going on when they go to the actual forest and stuff like that to get to that uh, the mimic's uh, burial ground, um, so or the the Micmac, I believe is what is what it was called. I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, I love this fucking movie. Like it's it's just the way that you see. I guess the interaction between the family, you can tell that they're close knit. They love each other. And yeah, the family dynamic is great. It's great. It works so well. It's just, it works fantastic. And I I love it like with Gage and Ellie and, and things like that to kind of see how they bring that dynamic home is really, really pleasant to see. And then it just gets ripped away from you. And I'm just like, fuck, I love it. (laughs) <laughs> so good. Oh. I love it. Like it's so fucked up to say, but it's it's so impactful. It is. It, it, I think that's what makes it. It hits the viewer exactly where it needs to. Yes. And then it has that emotional impact where it's like, I really care about these people. I care about the family itself. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they really have a strong relationship with one another. And it's mostly for the script and the dialogue that they have with each other. It's like, oh damn, this like it works well. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I definitely agree. It does work extremely well. And it, it, it punches you where you need to be punched, I guess. Yes. I'm very curious on what David would, would think about this. Um, but 
Yeah. There's probably some moments where he would have had a hard some, time. Some rough times. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I mean fair. I, I, it's completely fair. Like you said, it hits you where like it needs to be hit. Yeah. Like and, it, it hits you appropriately in all of the sides. It's just like, like you are just getting jacked up by this movie. And it's, it's a good movie. This yeah. movie just fucking just keeps going and it doesn't really like those yeah, goddamn trucks yeah. <laughs> like those goddamn trucks but let's go ahead and jump straight up into this pet cemetery directed by mary lambert um which is also awesome uh, she's directed some really funky films uh and very much in horror so Shout out to Mary Lambert. Released April 21st of 1989 with a runtime of one hour and 43 minutes, a budget of $11.5 million, and a box office of $57.5 million. So it, it did, did well, did well yeah. in the box well, office. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think with that remake, I don't think it, it quite hit these numbers, mainly because I feel like Pet Cemetery isn't a mainstream type of loved film right and I, I think this is definitely a film that us horror fans like hold near and dear to us but i feel like mainstream wise i i don't think this one clicks as much as like it for example yeah. or um even i wouldn't even say the shining because the shining is I, I feel like it's loved by many but if the shining it's a very was loved a group too it's like cinephiles like yeah that movie. even exactly. horror fans too but it's right. a very niche movie to watch. Right, which is why Dr. Sleep didn't do that well. But anyway, we can talk about this more in the post show. With a rating of 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. That shocks me. That hurts me. I want to punch all those critics. I'm surprised. In the nose. Yeah. (laughs) 1989, maybe it's not that, yeah, maybe didn't fit those times, I guess. I mean, gosh, think about what the 80s had, right? The 80s had slashers after slasher after slasher, so a lot of people probably were getting horror fatigued at that point in time to where you bring back a lot of these 80 classics, they're now loved. And so, and they're turned into cults films. So it's, I think a lot of it had to do with the time for sure. Straight to the title card with children voices saying goodbye to their dead pets as we move through the cemetery over the crosses. By the way, is this Stephen King's sixth screenplay that he wrote? thought that was very fun Hmm. and the fact that he wrote this is even better yeah (laughs) so the whole shot of the pet cemetery as the children's la la la's become louder a red diesel speeds down the road past a house that just says sold the station wagon with the creed family lewis rachel ellie and gage ellie happy that they finally made it hugging her dad and playing around the area lewis asks rachel what she thinks she's she hesitates before smiling that she loves it while hugging him she gets gage out of his car seat ellie is swinging on a tire hung from a tree branch screaming that she sees a path i love that they're just right here yeah they just jump all right this in. shit is just jumping right into it Why as it should you, to be honest that's a should, great exactly. way for a movie to open it's it like to start it off immediately there's no like it's great tension building yeah immediately from the, from the jump so. absolutely absolutely I'll take it. I'll take and, it. and I, I like the fact too that it's kind of one of these situations where it's just like why the fuck would you move here like, <laughs> yeah, like you're moving from Chicago to here, way different, way completely yeah, away from like, any bigger city just at all, bumfuck nowhere, and where <laughs> trucks constantly pass. Must be relaxing. You pick the most relaxing place with the most unrelaxing activity around it. Oh my god, it's kind of funny. Like, it is yeah. funny. Like, 
like it's you're very rural, from, but at the same time, it's like you got trucks right. coming in, right? And the the neighbors like, oh yeah, day and night. You're going What's from the- from literally urban Illinois to rural Maine. And you're just like, this is such a culture shock. (laughs) Rachel tells her to be careful. Lou is uh, about to repeat it, but uh, Ellie's rope snaps. She screams for her parents. They run over, leaving Gage back at the car. Wow. Take your child. (laughs) Please. Yeah. Yeah. Especially one that young. He's what, maybe two, three, maybe. Gage goes up to their cat church inside of a cat box. Another truck comes barreling down the road, honking its horn as it passes by. This is the only truck that honks its horn to, like, say, get the fuck out of the way. I'm barreling down this street for no reason. Why are you driving so fast? Right. What the fuck is going on here? There's no speed limits out there. Are you? Yeah, it must not be. Are you late? (laughs) Are you late to deliver this package? I don't know what trucks do. They deliver packages. They deliver stuff. Yeah, they deliver stuff. <laughs> Gage waving as the truck passes by, but then goes into the street, another speeding down the road. Their neighbor, Judd, scoops up Gage as his parents come running towards him. He hands Gage to them. Rachel embraces Gage, thanking Judd for saving their son. Lewis shakes his hand, introducing themselves to each other. Judd telling them to be careful of the road because of the trucks. Ellie runs up to them, Judd asking for her name. She in- introduces herself. Rachel... Um, asks, excuse me, Rachel asks about the path outside of the front of their house. Judd gets nervous, sharing that it's a good walk and story, offering to take them down there and share in the story after they get settled in. Now, why would you do that, Judd? Yeah, his character is probably the only thing I have a problem with because he does a lot of like really bad choices. Right. And bad decisions. Yeah. Knowing what happened Knowing in the past. Knowing he's doing bad decisions right. too. Like, like, oh, okay. Like, he even scolds himself for it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like... You're Burns still, his hand, he's like, puts it. his hand back in the fire. Yeah, Why? like, what because, are you doing? Yeah. Come on, Judd. She acknowledges and excuses herself to take the kids inside. Before Judd leaves, he shares that it is good to see it inhabited again while patting Lewis on his shoulder. That would have been my immediate thing of, like, what happened to the previous owners? What happened here? Like, why'd they leave? Why, and what... what why has it been so long? Exactly. What's what, what? What did I get myself into with my family here, Judd? <laughs> He's just happy to have a new home. That he is. He's happy to see new faces. Now night, Rachel checking in on her kids as they sleep, picking up the glass of milk from Ellie's room. Meanwhile, Lewis is outside looking out at the path, startled by Church coming down from in the tree. Uh, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I would have probably punched that cat. Scared the shit out of him, dude. <laughs> like, like, and that would have just been a gut reaction. Like, oh, <laughs> shit. This is why I can't go to haunted houses. I mean, that's That's fair. actually true. That I've is been fair. kicked out several times. I'm sure you have. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. The reflex. Uh, yeah. I I don't blame you. Like, that's the yeah, reason, jump the reason at me, why I'm gonna I don't you. go to haunted houses is literally because I would not react this way. I, I wouldn't go in. Yeah. I wouldn't check. I would have to say that I think the last time I went was like in Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. I literally just like held my hands behind my back (laughs) and just kept on walking. Yeah. Headbutt him. (laughs) (laughs) He picks up his cat, continuing to look down the path, then over to Judd as the truck passes by. He goes over to Judd's porch, Judd offering him a beer. Bopping open a beer for Lewis, they are both looking out at another truck barreling down the road. I love how many times trucks just fly down this road, too. They really hammer it over your head like, this road is fucking dangerous. 100%. And I love that. And the neighbor did say it's like night and day. Right. So it's constantly dangerous. It is, yeah, just at all constantly times. going. You never know. Exactly. 
Lewis, uh, Lewis com- commenting on it, judge sharing that the road and trucks are the reasons why the path down from their house even exists. Lewis asks where, where it leads. Judd exclaiming the pet cemetery, blaming it on the road being the cause. He tells Judd that his daughter has a cat, Judd recommending him to get the cat fixed so it doesn't uh, wander back and forth on the road. They cheers to his new house. Then we cut to Gage playing in the house, running his toy into a box. So cute. And he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. He's just really cute in general. Yeah, He's such cute a kid. cute kid. Uh, Missy grabs the laundry, letting Lewis know that, uh, that she's leaving. He bids her goodbye, and she is about to leave. Rachel greeting her. She tells Rachel that she will finish up the laundry when she comes back. Rachel asking for her to come back on Monday. Missy agrees, commenting about her uh, not being married. They are all walking down the path with Judd. He takes them to the pet cemetery. Ellie asking what the sign says. She tells she tells Ellie, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Rachel tells Ellie what it says, commenting that it's misspelled though. Ellie runs inside. Rachel calling for for her to wait. It's interesting the misspelling. I know a lot with of people have asked that, yeah. like, what's up with the S and the A's and things like that, and. I don't I don't I feel like I've seen the answer as to why but I don't remember but I feel like it has to do with the kids making the sign themselves. Yeah, it's like innocent. Right. It's like I misspell cemetery sometimes still right. as an adult. <laughs> but I was like S, hmm, as for Satan. It's <laughs> <laughs> the evil pet grounds where the pets come alive. <laughs> well, I mean, remember the pet cemetery itself is it's technically not, yeah, it's fine. fine. <laughs> uh they head they head inside, gawking at all the graves, Judd reminding Lewis that what he told him last night about the dying pets. Judd claims that something good came out of this. Rachel rebuttals that uh, this isn't a good thing since it is a grave built by brokenhearted children. He lights a cigarette, letting her know that they have to learn about death somehow. Rachel asking why, but he falls silent. I mean, because it's a part of life. That's why, Rachel. It's literally a part of life. Like, I've... I've, I'm not avoiding it. Yeah, Yeah. you, you can't. You just can't. Things die. You're going to die, Rachel. Your kid is going to die eventually, hopefully later than you, which we find out later does not happen. <laughs> but hey, she asks uh, Lewis for Gage. She reminds or she removes him from Lewis's back. Lewis looking over at Judd, his body language apologizing to, to Judd. Meanwhile, Ellie finds a gravesite for a goldfish calling over her dad. Judd chiming in that um, animals weren't all destroyed by the road. He walks with Lewis, letting him know that the signs get older the further you walk inside. He calls Ellie to show her where he buried his dog Spot in 1924, asking her if she knows what a grave graveyard really is, telling her that it's the place where the dead speak. Ellie gets frightened. Judd reframing his answer... Uh, uh, reframing his answer, sharing that there are stone that their stone speak, calling it a place of rest and speaking, asking her to remember that the pile of branches whistle and rustle before we jump to Ellie comes Ellie coming up to her dad, asking what if church dies and house and has to go to the pet cemetery. Then he has to go. Like <laughs> you have to have that conversation, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like as, as uncomfortable as death is, it's a conversation that I feel like is so important. 
Yes, and it's it's one of those things where like that's one of the main topics I feel like that comes out of this movie is like when do you tell your kids about death or right. life in general? Right. And why are you letting a neighbor bring you into a pet cemetery to discover this for the first time? Yeah. It's kind of dark. It's like, oh, we're going to a pet cemetery. Should my daughter go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a that's a really good You thought. have to prepare for that like conversation. Yeah. No, you you definitely do. It's it's a scary thought to kind of think yeah. about that. Death is scary. Death is scurry. Death Very is scurry. scurry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he places his book down, letting her know that they will be fine. She doesn't believe him, knowing that he's going to die in the end. You're right, Ellie. He is. Rachel overhears in the kitchen, sitting at the table, listening intently. Lewis sits her daughter sits his daughter on his lap, letting her know that Church will be alive by the time she goes to high school. She comments that this doesn't seem like a long time. He lets her know that he doesn't make up the rules, wanting Church to live up to 100. Ellie asks uh, who makes the rules, thinking God, but cr- but she cries that it is not his cat. Sobbing, she h- hugs her dad. Cuts to Rachel tucking in Ellie in Church, closing the door um, closing the door on her way out. Morning time, Gage throwing his eggs at his sister, her grossed out by it. She tells her mom that she's scared that school isn't like Chicago and that she wants to go home. Her mom assures her that she will be all right. Her dad tells... Uh, her dad um, brings Church inside of a kennel. Ellie um, telling him that she doesn't want Church to get his nuts cut off. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fucking kids, man. Gotta love them. It's darnest things. <laughs> Rachel and Lois, or excuse me, Rachel and Lewis uh, laughs, <clears throat> asking where does she hear that from? Missy told her, calling it an operation. He sits down, sharing that the road is a lot more dangerous. Assuring her that church will will be the same, and they won't be uh, they won't have to worry about him getting ran over. She asks for for him to promise. He's quiet. Rachel telling him to promise her. He does, looking at his wife while doing so. He gets up. Rachel thanking him, but he's upset, sharing that it um sharing that if church could if church could die, but um but if he does, she has to be the one to explain it to Ellie. Yeah, I kind of don't blame him. That's a good call. Like it's just like it's like, hey, this is on you now. Yeah, it's you just like, hey, like, I tried. Yeah, right. I tried to tell her how to cope with death, how to mourn. Right. Because it's and you're inevitable. masking it now. Right. Yeah. It's inevitable. Gage throws an egg at the kennel. Lo- uh, Lewis leaves pissed off. I don't know why I want to call him Lois. <laughs> I want to call him Lois, like so bad, so bad. Yeah. putting church into the, into his truck of Missy pulling up and getting out of her car. He sarcastically thanks her for teaching that phrase to his daughter. She acknowledges. I love that. She's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> she acknowledges holding her stomach as she gets the laundry out of her trunk. He asks about her belly. She tells him that it's not better nor worse. He offers to check on her, but she she tells him that it will pass just like anything else. Rachel comes out of the uh, comes out of the house with with Gage greeting Missy and coming down to uh, Lewis asking if they are still friends. He smiles, kissing his wife and Gage involving himself in the little smooch. Cute. Adorable. It is. Those are the best. Those are the best. Got to a man being carried by a group into the ER on the university with his head gushed, uh, gashed from being hit by a truck. How ironic. <laughs> right. And great practical effects here. Oh, this was like, my. oh, damn. This is, God. This looks fucking gross and gnarly. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like, dude, you saw a piece of his brain. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like fucked. chunks. Yeah. It is fucked. 
It looks very great. effective. Very effective. Especially for the times, too. I was like, wow, this looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, practical effects yeah, and exactly. horror just yeah. fucking rolls. Just works so well. Just It works so well. They immediately take him to uh, Lewis, rushing into the emergency room, cleaning out the room. Uh, Lewis gets to work barking orders for tools and an ambulance overhearing a woman asking who uh, who it was who got hit a man commenting that it was pascal lewis sits down next to next to him commenting that uh, he told his wife that they were going to be minor injuries on his first day shutting um, pascal's eyes the blood still oozing from his exposed brain pascal springs to life gasping and gagging startling lewis he holds lewis's shoulder gasping as he speaks quote the soul of a man's heart is stonier lewis End quote. Fuck! Such <laughs> a good line, and I don't know what it means, but oh, it's great. It's such a good line, and, I, and I, I just think it means that it's a heavy heart. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. Good, yeah great like, fucking call. Yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's perfect. Lewis asks, um, how did he know his name? Pascal responds, quote, I'll come to you. End quote. He wonders how Pascal knew his name, Pascal falling dead, smiling at him. The fucking tear even falling from his face as well, for Pascal's face? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The subtle details. It's, it, it's magnificent. It is magnificent. Cut tonight at the Creed's residence. Lewis and, uh, and his family are sleeping. He wakes up from a crash. Pascal standing at his doorway, urging him to get up because they have places to go. I actually really like the way he appears it reminds me of the sixth sense that's a good call yeah no yeah. that's very much these vibes right like it reminds me very much of the sixth sense and Where he just keeps popping up and stuff like that right yeah. and I, i'm yeah. curious if this movie inspired sixth sense in some way i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't either without a doubt lewis is in shock pascal disappearing from the doorway he looks at his wife sound asleep next to him pascal appears next to him telling him to come on that would have scared the shit out of me yeah no, <laughs> of like course. right in his face i would be still shook about the hospital situation fair enough yeah Fair enough. Pascal walks out of the room, Lewis falling out, uh, falling, asking why he's there. Pascal tells him that he wants to help him since Lewis tried to help him. Down in the basement, Pascal startling him when he touches his shoulder. Lewis comments that he doesn't like this dream. Pascal asking, quote, who said this? Who said you were dreaming? End quote. Pascal has all the great quotes. <laughs> so it's such a good line. Him and like, Judd yeah, are it, so poetic. The delivery dude. on it too. It's it makes all the difference. It's great acting. It's like Perfect. who said this was a dream? It's like, damn, okay. Right. Oh man, so good. They continue outside down the fogging path to the pet cemetery, Pascal leading. Um inside the cemetery, Pascal calling out the same as Judd. This place allows the dead to speak. Lewis freaking out, wants to wake up. Pascal cuts him off, telling him not to go to the place where the dead walk. He points at the pile of branches, the pile illuminating. Lewis falls to the ground in the fetal position, pleading to wake up and shuddering that he didn't allow Pascal to die. Pascal floats above, speaking, quote, The barrier was not meant to be crossed. The ground beyond is sour. End quote. What the fucking wow. Oh, yes. my God. And I'm guessing because obviously this is from his novel that these are lines pulled from the book. Oh, they have to be. I would assume I've so. never, I haven't read this novel. Unless this is a great script and they're just <laughs> hounding great like quotes out of these characters. I'm sure it has to be in the book because that line is They're very specific. Yeah. So 
fucking poetic. And celebrating Stephen King, this just shows how great of a writer he oh is. Because God, yeah. goddamn. Yeah. Like, he's so he good. He hits the mark too many times. Yes. Fucking prolific. Rightfully so. And it's it, And the thing is, like, that makes this so compelling is the fact that it is odd. Like, right. you don't hear someone speak of the ground that way. Right. The thing that I love about this movie or this story in general is that there's a lot of red flags, a lot of warnings. There's a lot of symbolism of, like, there's danger afoot. Yeah. Be aware. And none of the characters kind of catch until, like, the very end. And even the very end, it's just like, agreed. God damn it. It's like, yeah. you don't know. Yeah. Like, at that point, it's just being selfish, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you, you are now doing this for your own self. Right. No one else. Just for you. So, like, it, it's interesting when you kind of see it in term, terms that way um, because it's, it's just fascinating, um, even with the whole line of, like, the ground being sour instead of cursed. Right. Like, that is just so magnificent. Yeah. And so it, 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 so detailed. You understand what he means by that. Yeah, it's more That's powerful. A, it, powerful. It's, it's good way yeah. more powerful. Lewis is asleep, waking up to, um, to his children's laughter, laughter and the kettle going off. Rachel calls out, of, out to him, asking if he's awake. He responds, taking off the covers, revealing his feet covered in dirt. Cut to him inside of his office, getting a file of Pascal handed, um, handed to him from the nurse. He throws it straight into the trash. Back at home, spending time with his kids before Rachel and, his, and the kids leave for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. <laughs> Excuse me. She comes down the stairs, not wanting to leave without him, but Lewis doesn't want to be around her family since they don't want him around. They smile and hug there and hug before they say their goodbyes. Judd calls to Lewis, telling him that there is a, is a dead cat on the edge of his lawn, thinking that it might be church. Well, fuck. <laughs> he carefully goes over to Judd's and identifying his um, identifying his cat. Judd apologizes, commenting that he doesn't look like he suffered. Lewis commenting that his daughter will suffer plenty, though. He helps mm-hmm. Lewis put the um, put the cat um, in the bag, asking what he's going to do with church. <sighs> you know, this obviously doesn't look good. Like it looks like just a rag doll of a cat. Yeah, it happens. Quite often, not quite often, but right. you see it happen again later. But you see later it happen on. again later, and I'm kind of happy that's the case. To be honest, right? I don't want I that animals, cat to look you know? real. Like, exactly. Yeah. So I want that cat bit, to look fake. A little bit of a disbelief, um, which I like. Yeah. Exactly. But the sound design is so vicious. Like you hear it kind of sloshing, and yeah. it's just oh. Fuck, the sound design in this movie is so good. Lewis is thinking to uh, just bury Cat in the morning. Judd wonders if he's going to tell Ellie. He comments that he has to think about it, not wanting to ruin her Thanksgiving. Judd comes up with an idea. They make it to the cemetery. Lewis wondering if, uh, wondering how they should bury it. Judd points out that they're they're are going over the pile of dead trees and twigs. Lewis is nervous about going because he doesn't want them to get hurt, but Judd starts climbing, instructing him on the steps to take. He is following Judd. A a branch snaps below his foot, causing him to fall down on the other side. Judd assists him up, and they continue moving deeper into the woods. Rumbling and animal cries cause them to stop. Judd shushing Lewis after he asks uh, what that is. He tells Lewis that it's just a loon, and he continues upward, Lewis following him. What the fuck and why? Right, as soon as I would have heard that like, shit, I'd be like, what, I'm out. what are you taking me here for? Are you going to kill me? It's not only that. He had the dream sequence. He knows about the, like, don't go past this. Right. He even says, like, oh, I don't want to go do that. Um, I'm going to get hurt. What happens? He falls and gets hurt. Like, <laughs> there's literally all of these warning signs. It's like, just turn away. 
Yeah. Go back. Go back. You were told not to be here. Right. And you're still following. Right. So, yeah. And on top of that, fucking Judd is being super, like, Sketch. inconspicuous and shit. He's just like, it's like, oh, you'll see when we get there. No, fuck no, you, Judd. Where me. are you yeah. taking me? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? I don't know where this is. I've, I've lived here for only a week. Like, <laughs> I just met you. Right. And I'm following you wherever you go now. Yes, exactly. Uh, I assume they've been there for a few months at Maybe, this point. Yeah. But who knows? Eventually, they make it to a ridge of rocks, climbing up those to the top of a hill. Lewis asks what this place is. It is a burial ground with circular and cultic uh, patterns formed with rocks. This looks fucking amazing. Yeah. This looks gorgeous. Yeah, everything's staged so well. And and you know what, what really makes this shot fantastic? Is that hover shot of us seeing Judd and Lewis... And how much smaller they are compared to this land. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive. Yeah. It's so large. And it, I love that they did that to really show us the scale and the gravitas behind of what they're about to do. <laughs> Judd tells them that this was their burial ground. And by their, we drawn that in quotes. Lewis wondering who he's referring to. He shares that it's the Micmac um, Indians and he brought him there to bury church. You know, I've always hated this, though. I've always hated, like, the usage of indigenous indigenous people right. for, like, Superstitious, and, like, Yeah, horror. and, like, bad shit. Yeah. And it's just like, come on. Poltergeist, now this. Yeah, right. Indian burial ground, you don't want to disturb it, become something terrible. Yeah, like, you know, I, I've always hated that. It makes it look like their practices and traditions are evil. Exactly. And it does not. Yeah, right. It does not fit well. I've, I've always hated that. Like that. That's that's always been in such poor taste to me. Even as a child, yeah. I was just like, "What the fuck?" Like that. I, I even knew that was wrong as a right. kid. Like, yo, that that's that's not cool. That's not cool at all. Uh, Lewis asks why. Judd doesn't answer right away. Then commenting that he has his reasons. They stop. Judd handing him the tools to bury the cat, mentioning that Lewis has to do it himself. "Quote unquote," each buries their own. Well, Judd, I don't really want to do this anyway. So <laughs> I guess I'll just tell Ellie in the morning. Judd sits down for a smoke while Lewis gets to work on the soil. It takes all day and they both trek back to their homes at night. The phone is ringing at Lewis's house. He runs over to answer it, but the line is dead. Judd calls to him, letting him know not to share what they did tonight. Lewis nervously but sternly asks, what did we do tonight? Motherfucker, you didn't even tell me what I did Still, this for. Right, yeah. What are you doing? If anything, it's like, why am I burying like my daughter's cat out here and not the pet cemetery where I should be doing this? Right. Because now what I'm gonna tell her is like, oh yeah, you your cat. It's not in the pet cemetery. I decided <laughs> to follow this dude into the woods and bury him. Or hey, what the fuck, asshole? You're just gonna else. let this thing come back and murder me? <laughs> like That's you're it. not gonna warn me? <laughs> When I did this, knowing like, the past like, of what by happened. By the way, your cat's gonna come back and try to fucking kill you. Like, <laughs> and then give great advice. Sometimes dead is better. Yeah, fuck you, <laughs> Judd. <the> You're an asshole. <laughs> Judd is the real villain here. He really is. Like Maybe legit, he is. he's the real villain here. Like I don't like. I've always felt satisfied at Judd's death in this oh, movie. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah. Well, that's the reason why because like yeah, yeah, yeah. he started this. Like, he was not a good person. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Judd is not a good person here. Like, yeah. <laughs> like he did this knowing what was going to happen. 
because it happened to his fucking dog and it happened to a person that he had to kill. <laughs> Come on, John. What the hell? He comes inside sharing that they did a secret, uh, secret thing, bringing up the opposite sex, being able to keep their secrets. Judd continues, I don't know what the fuck that was about. Yeah, <laughs> Judd continues repeating that what Pascal told Lewis in his dream. He sh- he's shocked at uh, what he's saying. Judd leaves. Lewis calls his wife and kids in Chicago. Dory answers, asking if he would like to sp- if she would if he would like to speak with his daughter. She puts Ellie on the phone. He smiles, asking how things are going over there. She's uh, having a good time, asking about church and if he misses her. He lies, telling her that he hasn't seen him. She instructs him to put him in the cellar. So he doesn't run out to uh, kiss him goodnight. Holding back tears, Lewis plays along, telling her to uh, uh, for her to kiss her own cat. Um, and he's trying to like be playful, right? right. Yeah. Uh, she hands the phone to Gage. He greets his dad, telling him that he loves him. Lewis doesn't say anything back. Why? What the fuck? What, the, what happened here? <laughs> like, why did you say anything no to Gage? <laughs> Poor Gage is like, hi, daddy. Yep. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> I just want love. I've always felt like, why did he not say anything to this poor child? <laughs> that was so fucking. That was so fucking weird. Got to Lewis ranking the le- uh, ranking the leaves in his yard for a moment. I guess he gets tired of doing that because he goes back inside the garage. He rakes like two sets of leaves. That's <laughs> he's like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm good. Church growls and hisses at him, scaring him and causing him to fall. Um, fall to the ground. The cat runs out. He comes out. He comes outside, uh, tapping the bowl to gather Church's attention to get some food. The cat appears, cautiously moving to the bowl. He picks Church up, inspecting him at, for a moment, but before he scratches Lewis's face. Over at Judd's, Lewis is wondering um, how this is even possible, trying to rationalize it. Judd confirms that uh, Church was, in fact, dead. He shares a story about a man who uh, who's, was half uh, mim. Micmac, um, and he knew how sp- how Spot's death affected him. We transition to a woman outside doing some laundry as Judd continues the story. The man um, did the same uh, for him that Judd did for Lewis. Only his mom was the uh, was with him when Spot came back home. Spot, and that man is also not a good person. <laughs> not at all. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Spot- this is a good transition, though, of like him telling the story and it transitions oh, to the past. Oh, flashback. Beautiful. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like it's just turning that. outside to his outside right. window, and, and then it just becomes a flashback. I, like, I love the concept clean. that Judd has lived there his entire life. Yeah, that's so great. That is so great. Like generation. Well, he should know better about the place. I mean, he should. I was gonna say generations, but I don't think Judd had kids. Didn't sound like it. No. Uh, Spot growls at the at the woman. She's screams for Judd to get his dog, shouting that he stinks of the ground that he was buried in. That is a fucking great line, too. That is. Judd mentions that Spot wasn't quite the same, accepting his death for the second time and burying him in the pet cemetery. You know what this reminds me of? The lines. The lines itself feel quite Shakespearean. But yeah, very poetic. Exactly. But yeah. what it truly reminds me of, it reminds me of, uh, uh, you know that Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet with yeah. like the guns and shit? Yeah. Um, that's a fun movie. But like how they kept all the lines. I mean, it's so goofy. In Old English, yeah. Right. So they kept like all the Old English lines, lines yeah. and things like that. And I feel like this is what this kind of feels like, where this feels like they're reading off of a novelization of something. That's a good assessment, yeah. Because, I, like, I mean, I'm sure are, they are, yeah, right. which is 
and it, it works. And these aren't lines that someone would just say. These aren't normal lines someone would say. Like I would never say like, "Wow, you stink of the ground." Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I wouldn't say that. I'd be like, "Wow, you smell like death" it's, or something. It like reminds that, me of yeah. like uh, those horror movies where you like you find a wise man that like knows all the answers yeah. and tells you all of the secrets, and they just talk like in this manner and fashion. Right. Yeah. And it's just like it kind of reminds me of kind of like Final Destination, where like Tony Todd is just like randomly that guy who just yeah. like, knows all the answers and just tells them like crazy stuff. Yeah. Shout we out to we, him. we call that in the in the black horror community. We call that that the mystical negro oh god yeah because <laughs> it happens often <laughs> that's fucking terrible uh back to uh, back to the present judd thinking he helped lewis uh because ellie wasn't ready for her pet to die you didn't help me man sorry i would have rather explained that it died lewis asks if anyone has ever buried a person there he drops his bottles shouting that no one has no one hasn't and not sure um who would i love that in retrospect though yeah because you can tell he's lying when he drops his bottles he's like oh shit now i'm clumsy i'm a clumsy old man look at me so like don't worry about me so it, it was kind of like a like how can i take the attention off of this situation and that that was probably like a good way to kind of be like, okay, I should leave. Like I've, I've overstayed my welcome. He's breaking bottles and shit. I don't know. <laughs> Lewis draws himself a bath. He sits in the bath trying to relax. A dead rat plopping into the water. He screams, throwing Ugh. the rat out of the tub. Church growls. He gets out of the tub, wondering how it how it got how he got in there. He shoes the cat out as it hisses and growls, then runs out of the bath uh, out of the bathroom. Um, and I even, I, I put here, they definitely did a good job at making this cat scary because this is what actually traumatized me disliking cats. Interesting. I could totally see that because yeah. I would be scared of this cat. I was the petrified cat's like a of villain. cats because of this. It is. It literally it, is. I mean, it is. Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. And I, one of the things that you like really like is the glowing eyes. Exactly. I mean, the glowing eyes have those great. glowing eyes. Those have those glowing eyes. And it, the beautiful thing about the glowing eyes, it's actually real. That's just a real thing that happens with cats when you yeah. shine a light in their eyes. Um, and now I have two cats. Rachel and <laughs> the, the kids are back. Lewis uh, wanting for uh, waiting for them at the tarmac. Ellie runs over to him. Gage greeting his dad from afar. He asks about her cat. He claims that he that he is and um, uh, that he is fine and that he is, was asleep on the porch when he left. He puts her down. Um, she tells him that she had a dream that Church was hit by a car. Then he and Judd buried him in a cemetery. Fuck. Now this is so goddamn fascinating, and the reasons why is because Ellie fucking has The Shining. Okay, I'm <laughs> really happy you brought this up because now, like after watching like Doctor Sleep and other movies and stuff like that, oh, it's a fucking universe. Said, like, yeah, it's a whole universe. Everyone has The Shining. Um, even like it chapter one and two, I guess mm-hmm. for the new movies, you can tell that they have like a connection yeah, the kids with each are other. Connected. Uh, that's in the book as well. And the whole thing is like of them both seeing like the dead guy. Um, I forgot what's his name. Pascal. Pascal. Yeah. I was like, Oh, all these characters have the shining too. Mm-hmm. Like they got powers and stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, what makes this hilarious, not hilarious, but what makes this interesting, I should say, um, for, this whole situation with Ellie being the way she is, uh, it's just Stephen King liking psychics. He just likes psychics. 
Yeah. You just see like when you see it in Carrie, you see it in Rose Red, you see it here, you see it in The Shining, you see it in Doctor Sleep. He loves psychics. He just loves psychics. I feel like he really wanted to make X-Men. <laughs> Basically, yeah, no. He it, really wanted to make I think X-Men. he just loves the concept of people being more powerful than who they actually are. Yeah, I mean, great. he did it, even did it again in The Outsider, and, and he also did it in uh, The Institute, right. which was his two two books ago, I believe, mm. um, from... Uh, whatever. Besides the point, Louis tells Louis tells her that she was this that this was just a silly dream. She asks again if he is really all right. He tells her yes for the last time, going to greet his wife and take Gage back at home. Ellie is letting out church, commenting on his smell. Everyone else is uh, in the living room reading. Ellie asking if cats can have shampoo. Her mom tells her that um, she will have to take him to a groomer, and Ellie is willing to do so to take it even out of her allowance. She hmm. sits on her dad's lap. He tells her um, that he will pay for it instead. Ellie commenting that she hates the smell. He hugs her, sharing the same sentiment. Um, excuse me. Cuts a Missy writing a poorly written note about her having cancer and not being able to take the pain. Could you read that? No. Well, was, I had to pause it. And I, was I like, had to. Yeah, I paused it. I was on there for like a solid. I don't know why I didn't look it up, but like. I was like on the couch and I had to like pause it and walk up to the TV because <laughs> it's like far enough where I was just like, I can't. I was I was like, what like, does it say? And I was like, oh, like, I can't. It's about to go dark. I was like, damn it. God. It's like, all right, back to the couch. I don't want to see this <laughs> up close. She walks down to her basement, tying a noose around her neck damn. and stepping off of the table with a letter pinned to her sweater. Cut to uh, the funeral with our horror god, Stephen King, playing the minister, uh, sharing his words of prayer. Fuck yeah. I love him so much. I love nice seeing him in, in movies, dude. Seeing him in yeah. It Chapter 2 was such a fucking treat. That was for like the bike owner shop, yeah. right? Yeah. That's helpful. Fuck, dude. So good. They all get up leaving the funeral. Judd asking if Rachel is sick. Ellie buds in commenting that she's been throwing up. Lewis, um, Dillinger, that's that's enough. At their car, Judd comments about Missy dying so young. Lewis shares a saying that his dad would say to him. Quote, God sees the truth, but waits, end quote. Judd asks about his cat. Lewis correcting him that it's his daughter's cat, but Judd corrects him, reiterating that it is his cat now by walking away. What the fuck, Judd? What did you get me into, my dude? <laughs> Dang. Come back here. <laughs> He's like, fuck. <laughs> you caught me. Yeah. Ellie comes downstairs and turning on turning off the TV while her dad is on the couch. It's just like I was watching that, but okay. She asks if he thinks Missy went to heaven. He sits her down on the couch, Rachel listening for uh from inside the kitchen. He tells Ellie that he doesn't know, sharing some of the things people believe in uh, when they die. She asks what he believes in. He uh looks at church growling at him. He tells her that he thinks they they go on and that he has faith in that. Rachel is in the kitchen crying as they continue to cuddle on the couch. Cut to Lewis um, in bed reading a message from our sponsors. And speaking of sponsors, we actually recently just got a shutter code for all of our lovely listeners here at Nightlight, a Love horror it. movie podcast. I just want to share that one of my favorite movies that is currently out on shutter is The House of the Devil fucking fantastic movie by ty west an absolute blast um and it, it it's one of the first movies we actually covered and one of the movies yeah, that actually got me into wanting to even create this podcast to begin with and it's phenomenal extremely extremely well done but 
Check that out on Shutter with the promo code Nightlight. That's all one word: K N I G H T L I G H T. Nightlight. And we're back with Lewis reading in bed. Rachel coming into the room, sharing that she's over that sharing that she overheard him and Ellie. He knows that she disapproves of the subject, but Rachel telling him that she just gets scared. Moving closer to him, reminding him that she gets defensive when she's scared, he closes his book, asking if he's if she is scared of dying. She brings up his, her sister Zelda. Lewis cutting her off that he remembers that um, that she died of spinal men- meningitis. Rachel continues anyway as we transition to a flashback. Zelda was in her room all alone. She died in there, kept away as a dirty secret, adding that she hated having to feed her sometimes and that they all wish she was dead. Um, Zelda chokes on the food Rachel moving back from her wretches she emotionally continues that um, that they wished it so they wouldn't have, um, feel any more pain because she started looking like a monster Rachel's uh, parents weren't there when Zelda died Zelda calls for her laughing as she convulses on in her bed she's choking Rachel not knowing what to do Moving back, worried worried that her parents will blame her for Zelda's death. Zelda reaches out for her. She runs out of the room, telling Lewis that she screamed that, um, that Zelda's dead as the neighbors watched. They thought she was crying, but she believed... But she believed that she was actually laughing. Lewis uh, hugs and embraces her into the bed. He tells her that, um, that he would have saluted her <laughs> if he was there for what she, for what she did. Why? Yeah, I don't understand that part. My but dude. What a scene. This, this flashback insane. scene is spooky as hell. Oh my fucking It's God. so scary. It's so um, scary. The way Zelda looks, you're just like, you're sad about it. But at the same time, you're like really scared of her too. Because yeah. kind of how she describes, like she kind of does look like a monster. She looks very frightening. Yeah. And the way she like contorts the body and stuff like that. You're just like, oh my God, this is terrifying. It's but at the same time, it's like an illness that someone is suffering through as well. And as a young child, she doesn't really understand that she only sees that as like she's suffering, but we're also suffering because of it. And that's why she feels like maybe she was happy or laughing of the situation of like, it's finally over Mm -hmm. where we see a lot of the movies, like at the end of the movie, it's like, Oh, cool. The huge bad thing is now accomplished and it's all done. And you see a character smile or laugh at the end of the movie and in credits. Right. Right. It's like, it's so bad and you overcome so much that you're just like laughing at that point. I can see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Adding that he has another reason to like to dislike her parents and that she uh, shouldn't have been left alone with her in anyway, scolding her parents for not getting a nurse and leaving Rachel with Zelda alone. He gets out of bed. Rachel asking, where's he, where's he going? And he says that he's going to get her a volume. She is, uh, she's about to stop him, but he cuts her off saying that she will take one tonight. <sighs> Like, I get it. Like, you're trying to help, but damn, dude, you're drugging your wife? Yeah. Like, that's, that's a bit much. That's <laughs> way out of bounds. Like, yeah. you, you don't even want to, like, she was gonna, she denied it. And you kind of just, like, forced her to take these drugs. All right. Cut to cut today. A truck leaving out of its stop, driving down the road. Back at the Creeds, they are having a picnic. Lewis flying a kite. Judd tells him to allow Gage to fly it. He allows it. Once again, Judd. Once again, you villain. I, 
What if his like whole thing is us living in this house and trying to take out like all the family members one by one? You know, at this point, I wouldn't fucking take it back. But at the same time, I don't think that's entirely true because he definitely tries <laughs> it to definitely help. Definitely feels like that. It does feel like that. Like the, the helpful neighbor. Yeah, yeah, I see. Uh, the trucker speeding down, speeding down the road, blasting the music. Gage is flying the kite. Ellie wanting a turn. Lewis instructs him to run with the kite. Them celebrating it. He drops the rope. Ellie pissed everyone. Um, ev- Ellie is pissed off. Everyone laughing. Um, asking to fly the fly it next. Gage chases after the kite. Judd noticing that he uh, he's about to go on the road, yelling at Lewis to get him. Lewis runs after his son at full speed, but the truck is barreling down the road even faster. Lewis falls to the ground. Gage stands in the middle of the road, the truck hitting Gage. Lewis in the middle of the street, screaming no, with his son's blood on his, on his face. Flashing through photos of Gage growing to his second birthday. You know, I've always had gripes with this. And the only reason why is just like, if you got hit by a truck that fast, bro, you are like mush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you are not going to come back. He looked, he looked like just like he, (laughs) yeah, he had like a scar on his face. Yeah, like it was just like a scratch. It was just like, but, uh, nah, you would have looked like straight up like homegirl and hereditary. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing that sucks. It's like, at the same time, it's very impactful. I'm glad they don't show the body, oh, but yeah. you see the shoe fly off. Right. That shows how big the impact was. The shoe flew off. Yeah. It has blood on it. The shoe. And on top of that, you didn't just yeah. see, you, you didn't just see the shoe fly off. The truck was flipped over. Right. So, like, that's how much of a crash this was. The fucking truck flipped over. Right. I wouldn't have been surprised if they both died. Yeah, that's true. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. And I assume, like, I assumed he did die because we didn't see any, like, charges of manslaughter or anything like that right. happen or anything like that. I don't know if that's in the book or anything. So, mm. I- uh, any listeners out there, hit us up on well, Twitter yeah, because let us know. I, I, I don't know. Um Lewis is looking through the photos. Judd comes into the kitchen telling him that Rachel is finally asleep because of the sedative. Ellie Ellie continues downstairs asking to go into her own room and that she can't sleep with with mommy because she keeps stealing the covers. Lewis doesn't answer her. He stares blankly. Judd asks her uh, what does she um, have in her hand. She doesn't want to let let it go. um, And it is is a picture of her and Gage. He compliments the, the photo. Ellie exclaims that she's going to hold it until God lets Gage come back. He grabs her, looking at Lewis, um, telling her um, that God doesn't do things like that. She tells him that uh, he can if he wants to, needing to keep his uh, his things for him. Lewis, Lewis calls her to stop. She runs to the couch, sobbing. Judd tells him to take care of his daughter and that she needs him, that she needs him right now. He continues to just blankly stare. That is such a powerful scene. Yeah, such a powerful scene. At the funeral, Lewis looking over the casket. Rachel's dad, Irwin, comes up to him, scolding him for uh, allowing his grandson to die. Yo, me and Irwin catching hands after this, knowing that this is go- this uh, this was going to happen, screaming that he hopes uh, he rots in hell, asking him where he was going, where where he was when Gage was playing in the road. He punches Lewis, Rachel running and screaming uh, for her dad to stop. He continues, he continues kicking Lewis. I would have beat Erwin's ass. No lie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like bro, this is my kid. It's my child. This is my this, child. Like, How you think, think I don't care? Yes. Yeah, right course. now. Like, come on. 
I'm kicking myself for like not noticing faster. Like, come on. He pushes Erwin off of him, causing him to knock over Gage's casket. Oh. Trying to get to him, his friend Steve stops him, bringing back, uh, bringing him back to his senses. Cuts to Lewis, um, putting down Ellie for the night. He kisses her goodnight. He call, he calls him back, asking God, um, asking God can bring him, or excuse me, telling him that God could bring him back if he wanted to, and then asking if he could have faith in that. He supposes that she can, telling her goodnight and leaving her to, to uh, sleep. Inside his room, Rachel fast asleep, Church growling at him as he lays on her, as um, he lays on her. He tells him, he, he tells Church to fuck off, the cat jumping um, on, his, on his face and running out of the room. That cat is just a little so rascal. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> Judd comes into the house, church running out of the door. Lewis, uh, Lewis comes downstairs going over the events of today. Judd cuts him off um, to not have the thoughts about the burial site. He tells Judd that he was thinking about going to bed while he pours himself a drink. Judd continues that he feels as if he's responsible for the death of Gage. Lewis is confused as uh, what he's um, saying, calling him crazy. Judd knows um, that he's thinking about putting him in the ground and for him to not to not not and for him to not deny it he takes a seat bringing up lewis's previous question about people getting buried on the grounds he tells him that he lied and that it has been done before he shares the um that a local boy named timmy baderman was killed um was killed on his way home from war his dad bill was so struck with grief that he buried his son on the grounds before he knew the truth lewis somberly asks, what's the truth judd bluntly tells him quote sometimes the dead is better this line is just so fucking great of course Uh, judd is such an interesting character though i love him i love him i feel like he's a serial killer yeah (laughs) i mean it's all part of his master plan (laughs) you might be it's like i know you're thinking about it you shouldn't (laughs) like you shouldn't have done that with the cap i showed you exactly what to do and how to do it so don't do it again. <laughs> yeah, see, I feel like it's all nah. <laughs> He continues that the person you put up uh, that you put up there isn't the person that comes back. During Judd's VO, Timmy is digging the ground while holding uh, while holding a little kid's severed leg. Whoa, kind of dark. Yeah, it's super much. dark. But you know, this is what I love the most because a lot of people don't think of this on the cusp of this being a zombie movie. But this is a fucking zombie movie. And it's a oh, damn good zombie movie. Yeah. Like, it's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> Judd tells him that whatever lives in the ground isn't human. Timmy was seen four or five days after his funeral by Margie Washburn. He walks up to Margie. She runs away. She told, she told the men that Timmy needed to be stopped, knowing that it was an abomination. Judd continues that they talked it over, then went to Bateman's place to take care of it. Timmy is throwing things... Uh, Bill trying to calm him down. They bust the door open, telling him, telling him that he, uh, excuse me, telling him to get out while he still can. The people is the people he is with start throwing gas on his house and setting it ablaze. Timmy is laughing. Bill is trying to get him off of it. Uh, get him out of the house his pant leg catching on fire timmy restrains him pulling him deeper into the inferno as he says no dad i hate living that's so he actually says no dad hate living right but judd reiterates um that sometimes dead is better and and that the uh indians um 
and I'm, I don't even want to call them Indians, that uh, the indigenous people stopped using the, using the ground um, went sour. That's so interesting. Like how they were saying, pretty much it, the way that he was saying it is pretty, that the ground was once good. Yeah. But now it's sour. So even the indigenous people had to stop it as well. They had to mm. stop using that ground. Letting him know that the place is evil, trying to trying to have him understand that, that what he's saying. Annoyed, Lewis asked if the place knew his son was going to die. You know what's interesting? I didn't get that from that conversation at all. I didn't get that the ground knew. Right. But it's so interesting that he said that. Because he's a serial killer. Well, I, Lewis actually says this, <laughs> oh, that's, not okay, John. My bad. Yeah, yeah uh, that's true. Well, I guess that's like the vision he had when he saw the patients of like the first time he went there. And it's like the ground knew this was going to happen. Right. Judd crying clarifies that the place might have made, made him die because he introduced him to the power. Cut to Lewis at the at the airport. I mean, you did. You cut to Lewis at the airport with Rachel, telling her that this this could be a beginning of patching things up with her parents. You know what's so interesting? I was trying to think back of like the days when you could just walk past uh, the airport or walk. Um, in the terminals in the airport, and you're just completely fine. Right. No phases. You don't have to do all these checks of going into TSA or anything like that. It's so interesting how times have changed. Exactly. Oh, off topic a little bit, but I just saw American Graffiti for the Goodnight Movie Club, (laughs) and I just saw, like, in the 60s, I guess, Part you one? would like pick up oh, random girls and just jump in your car. I'm like, that is not okay now. You <laughs> just don't jump in a stranger's it car. It wasn't okay then either. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's just like one of those things is like, ah, I don't know about all of this. Yeah. But, you know, times change. American Graffiti. A classic. Ellie tugs on Dory's sleeve, telling her that she doesn't want to go uh, go to Chicago. She's uh, She asks why not. She tells them that she had a bad dream last night about her dad, Gage, and Pax Cow is what she called him. <laughs> Lewis comes up to them, telling them that they uh, that they should get going. Irwin apologizes to Lewis, commenting that he lost his mind. Lewis responding that he, uh, they all did. Irwin goes for a handshake. Lewis lightly shaking his hand and looking down. He bends down, telling Ellie to take care of her mom. She pleads for him to come with them. He tells her that he will be there in three or four days. She pleads again, shouting that she's scared. Calmly, um, calmly, almost robotically, he tells her that everything is going to be all right she asks him to swear to swear and he does she hugs him rachel calls her to come lewis sneaks to gage's grave site with a bag of shovels he speaks uh he speaks that what happened to gage was wrong pascal appears reminding him that the barrier was not meant to be crossed reiterating that the ground is sour lewis cries that if he comes back um if he comes back and if he's anything like Timmy, then he will just put him back to sleep. Commenting that Rachel and Ellie don't have don't have to know. Cut to the ground cut to the grandparents' house. Ellie screaming and crying for her mom. Rachel comes in telling her that she uh, was just having a bad dream. Ellie telling her that it wasn't, and it was Pascal telling her that Lewis is going to do something bad. She doesn't understand who Pascal is. Ellie sharing that he's a good ghost. Telling her, a good ghost that looks like that. Yeah. That's, and I think that's why it reminds me of Sixth Sense. Right. You just see like realistic tragedies, but they're also good I guess apparitions. Right. 
Yeah. I always thought of uh, Pascal as like um, a guardian angel of the family. Yeah. And I don't know why he's connected to the family. I never understood it, but maybe because he got hit by the truck, he maybe was connected to like, I know this is about to happen to someone Oh, no, else. they explain it. They, they explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to I it. I missed it. We'll okay. get to it. I th- you might have missed it. Telling her that, um, actually, we're, we're going to get to it really soon. Gotcha. Uh, telling her that he was sent to warn them and that uh, he was near um, he was near her dad when his soul was uh, when his soul was and she tries to say what he said but she can't remember she cries mm-hmm. Rachel telling her that, um, that they're no ghosts and she wants her to go um, go to sleep to forget this um, Ellie Ellie asked for excuse me Ellie asked for t- I don't even know what what I was trying to write there. Ellie asks for her to call her dad to make sure he's okay. Rachel tells her that she will, kissing her before she goes. She goes to the other room, wondering where she heard the name um, Pascal from, and then Pascal standing next to her um, saying the right name. She repeats it, remembering what Ellie said. Pascal, completing completing the word Ellie couldn't remember, discorporated. And pretty much... What this uh, what this whole thing was is the fact that since he kind of woke up on the verge of death, um, right next to uh, Lewis, yeah, they're connected. That's it. That's okay. it. Yeah. So that that mainly was it that they were connected since Lewis was the last person to kind of see him on the verge of death, and I think it was the whole thing of like he died, and then he came back, and then he died again. Right, and maybe connected to his shine somehow. Right, exactly. Uh, she runs down the stairs, back with Lewis, uh, digging into the earth for Gage's corpse. The phone is ringing at his house. Rachel calling him from uh, from her parents. That painting behind her is creepy as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, her, pa- her parents watching her. She hangs up the phone, disappointed that he's not home. Her mom uh, makes an excuse for him. Rachel tries for Judd. It's so funny what the excuse was. He was just like, he's giving the food. You know how yeah, guys are when they're alone. Guys are when they're alone. They, we they go get eat, food. They eat dinner. <laughs> Judd is eating uh, while reading the newspaper. He answers the phone and she greets him, letting him know that she's calling from Chicago. Chicago. He asks if Lewis is with her. She tells him no, and that um, and that they are going to be. Uh, excuse me. He, she tells him no, and that they are going to be there for a while, and that uh, that he's needed to, and that he needed to stay behind for a few days. She asks if he's with him. He tells her that he isn't. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that he will let her know when he comes by. Rachel sternly says that she's coming home. He quickly yells for her not to come home, but she hangs up the phone. Meanwhile, Lewis is still chipping away at the at the site. A cop car pulling up. He hides in the hole. The cop shining the light, um, and passing up and passing him up. You mean to tell me this cop shined the light, saw the bag, and then just it just was just like, yep, so like, this nope. is fine. <laughs> Once they leave, he smiles and goes back to work. Um, Judd comes out of the, out of his porch, staring at the Creed's house before sitting in his rocking chair with some beers. He tells uh, he tells himself that he is, has to undo it since it is his fault. Lewis pulls Gage uh, Gage's casket out of the earth, uh, opening it and holding his son's lifeless body. He swears that he's going to be all right, and he continues embracing him, placing his his body in a tarp before leaving. Uh, inside Rachel's uh, parents' house, there are family photos all twisted and broken. They, she moves mm. down the hall, going into Zelda's room. Her sister's cracking her her body as she springs up to tell her that she's coming for her 
in a ghastly voice. This looks fucking great. Terrifying. This looks and it looks fantastic. Great. She continues that Gage Gage and her will will get her for letting them die. She wakes up from the nightmare inside of her air, inside of an airplane. Pascal smiling as he sits across from her. <laughs> I love this. Like Pascal's like, he's like, ah, I'm going back to Maine. Like this is great. Like, <laughs> she runs through the airport, excusing herself as he um, as she pushes through people. The connecting flight is about to detach from uh, the jet bridge. The attendant, the attendant, about to close the door. Pascal holds the door, um, telling her to uh, to not do that. She stops. Rachel telling the woman that she, uh, to make it wait. Excuse me. She tells her that she can't, but Rachel runs through anyway. And she's like, okay, I'll let the pilot know. <laughs> so you could have. <laughs> right. So you mean to tell me you actually could have stopped the plate? Got it. Judd fall, falls asleep on his porch, missing Lewis walking down the cemetery with Gage. He, wa- he, walks, he walks up the branches, his glow... Um, it glowing and cackling as he walks past it. There is uh, something. There is something large walking around, walking around him, causing a tree to fall. But he just casually walks past it. Like I said, there's a lot of red warnings and red flags. Yeah. Every, there's so much stuff that's like right in front of them that they don't notice as like an omen of like, oh, yeah. dude, something is wrong. Right. He did not give a fuck. Yeah. He like had a one track mind. Like yeah. I'm gonna. Bring my son back to life. Cut to Rachel looking for a rental car. The uh, attendant apologizing that she do- that she doesn't have any cars available. Pascal speaks up about a car that seems to be available. The woman mindlessly uh, telling her that she does have one, but it's beat up. Rachel doesn't care and will take it. The woman agrees with a puzzled look. Lewis is um, still climbing upward, but he stops her. When he hears his name, he turns around to someone's face appearing towards him. He he shuts his he shuts his eyes tight until he disappears. He smiles, blaming it on his imagination, and places and, and places him down on the sour ground. Rachel is jamming down the road, her tire popping and causing her to uh, crash into a ditch. <laughs> it reminds me of the uh, the Hey Ya song. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, by Outcast? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the crash, crash, crash. Do I thought you where it came from. Maybe. <laughs> Just saying. You're like, that cemetery. <laughs> Put in the lyrics. Put in the lyrics. We need it. <laughs> I wouldn't be fucking surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> she goes she gets out of the car, wondering what now. Pascal appearing and shouting that it is trying to stop her, uh, then he disappears. Quick question. Maybe this is based on the book or me knowing the remake. Is the Wendigo the main thing in this story that's causing everything? I mean, I, I guess so. Okay. But I, I don't know. I don't know because I, I it it doesn't seem like it. Right. Not not in this movie. But right. they made it a big deal in the remake. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, they did. That's the main difference, I Maybe. would say, from the old and the new. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that it was the daughter instead of the son. But. Sadly, I didn't read the book, so. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, it, was the, it was the son in the in the book as in well. The book too. Yeah. Um, but they had a good reason. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, the squawks of birds around 
uh, excuse me, the squawks of birds surround her. She asks if anyone is there. No answer. She looks out on the road. Meanwhile, Lewis plants his son, calling for his son to come back to them. He walks, he walks back home, opening his garage, church growling and watching him as he comes inside the house. He places his jacket down and falls down onto his bed. Gage starts creeping his way out of the rocks. Rachel is walking down the side of the road, calling for a truck to stop and, and give her a ride. He tells her to hop in, calling her a babe. I would be like, okay, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I'm <laughs> no, thank I guess, you. Like, you know, it's for your walking. family. He's like, I have to jump in with this asshole. <laughs> right. She gives her thanks and gets inside of the car. It's so interesting that the, even the uh, truck itself had 666 as its number. Oh, interesting. I did not catch that. Yeah. And it's very interesting that this truck was able to slow down and stop seeing the person <laughs> in the road. That's fair. That is completely <sighs> fair. Completely, completely. At night. At night. At night. He was also interesting. He kind of looked like the driver that hit her son. Oh, fuck. I don't know if Twist. it's him, but he kind of looked like it. Cut to the back door. Uh, excuse me. Cut to the back door opening. Gage's, <laughs> I put here, Gage's widow feet walking in as he growls demonically. Uh, church right behind him. Lewis is... Uh, Lewis is on the bed asleep. Gage opens the door to the room, uh, moving toward the closet. He grabs his his dad's doctor's purse. I don't know. Doctor's purse? Doctor's bag? I don't know. Pulling out a, a scalpel uh, inside a nice-looking case. I'm not a doctor, but do doctors just keep their scalpel on them? No, but it could be, like, his first scalpel as a doctor and stuff like that. It's one of those, like, memorabilia stuff. It seemed to be, like, in that nice case, so it had, like, some sentimental moment, like... That's what I can only assume, but why would you keep that it? in your office? Right. I don't know. Like, I don't know, but, like... It's, and I was it's even, a weird thing. I was trying to make sense of it in my head, where it's just, like, maybe he's an at-home doctor, but who's performing surgeries at someone's right. house? <laughs> I'm sure it has, like, some sentimental value. It has to, right? Yeah. I'm it sure it's in the to. book where it's, like, oh, yeah, and his... His sentimental... Scalpel from his right. father who passed away in a tragic accident in Antarctica. <laughs> exactly. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Church walks. I mean, someone who read the, the readers. Book might yeah, know. yeah. Church walks down the path. Let us know what does the scalpel mean. <laughs> Church walks down the path towards Judd's house. Judd wakes up, realizing that Lewis's light is on. He gets up, noticing Gage's uh, wet footprints leading into his house. Checking it out, Gage throws a ball, giggling and running around, calling out to Judd to play hide and seek. Uh, Judd looks looks around. Looks around for him, moving up towards the stairs. More items getting thrown down the steps. He calls out to Gage, moving cautiously up the stairs. Gage laughs, Judd following his laughter into his bedroom. He calls out to Gage again, pulling out a pocket knife as he searches and checks Lewis's house to see if the light is still on. Gage laughs. He slowly approaches his bed, bending down uh, bending down to move the covers. Church drops down, meowing, turning Jud Judd's attention towards him. Gage slices through Judd's Achilles tendon. He Terrible. falls down to the ground. He moves closer to Judd, slicing his mouth and eating through his throat. Dude, it's a little kid, so it's a little bit unbelievable for me to watch these scenes. But 100%. it's like at the same time, it's like, yeah, this is a little evil kid. And yeah. it, like, it is scary. Granted, and yes. he looks scary. And I don't know how they got the kid actor to like look mean you know what's point, interesting he's like, he looks menacing he he does i will agree but at the same time it i'm with you on where it takes me out of it and it and, and honestly it's because of the mean face 
that takes me out of it because you can kind of tell like the director was just like okay Gage meanie face meanie face right. <laughs> like he's giving like, his and, hardest to be and like she's like like you know yeah. <laughs> and it still looks kind of cute and you're just like you look like you're trying to give a mean and face the song mixing with the laughter the laughter is kind oh, of it's like great. menacing and it's very oh, it's scary great. I was like oh my god that's actually really good and really effective I like I it I agree I agree but I just wish Gage would have been a little bit older I think yeah. if you would have been around the age of uh, of Georgie's character in it, yeah, that would have been be... a little bit more perfect. Maybe five or six, just yeah, a little bit a older. Yeah. yeah, or maybe even the kids in like how the Hunting of Hill House. Yeah. So yeah. Cut to Rachel making it back home, thinking that uh, thanking the driver, Pascal appearing in front in the front seat, giving his gratitude as well. He shares that this is the end of the that this is the end of the line for him as well. She's uh, she's sure that everything will be fine. Pascal calling out to, calling out that he that he won't, um, shutting the door and disappearing. What the fuck? If I was that truck driver, I'd be like, wait, I didn't see you touch my door. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the truck drives off. Zelda calls to Rachel and Gage's laughter accompanying it. She moves over to Judd's house, cautiously approaching the front door. She is startled by Church dropping down. Rachel calls out to Judd and, and heads inside. She calls to him. No answer. She moves inside the living room but stops when she hears Judd's uh, groaning upstairs. Rachel moves to the stairs, calling for him before heading up herself. Zelda groans for her uh, from behind the door. Rachel opens the door. Zelda hunched over on the ground commenting that she finally came for her she promises that she is going to twist rachel's back like hers so she will never get out of bed again zelda bursts into laughter her her tone turning into gage she opens her eyes seeing her son in a dress and top hat walking toward her with a cane what a look to be honest i was surprised that this was a thing i was like wait what is going on that but actually is creepy though. i feel like it was effective like that outfit and that little kid and the cane it's so jarring. why does he have a cane i have so many questions but at the same time well zelda had walked with a cane right but it's like why does the kid have the cane and why is he actually using it uh, um there's a lot of questions but at the same time and strong <laughs> it it works it works, it works. It's like because it's like you're seeing your own child in a way that he's not supposed to be or or a way to better uh, phrase that in a way that you're not used to right yeah uh, he tells her that he brought her something while pulling out the scalpel. Ugh. She cries for him, moving down to hug him. We, uh, we are left with the sounds of Rachel's painful screams. A flashback of Gage getting getting hit by the truck. Lewis wakes up in the um, in the morning, rolling and screaming out of his bed, hitting his head on the side table. God damn. What the hell is going on? Like, uh, he hit his head fucking hard. hard. Yeah. Like, that looks real. It did. <laughs> like, that so, like you're like- going to, like, be very restless in your bed as an actor, and then you're going to just jump out of your bed and, like, fall over and hit the side. I don't even think he, he like, tried to do that and hit his head on the like, stand. Exactly. Like, it, it probably was even just, like, you're just going to roll off the bed. Right. You're going to fall and, off. And then he probably hit his head. He was like, oh, I don't ah. think I was supposed to do that. But no. Perfect. We'll perfect. keep it. We're keeping it. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Uh, he sits up uh, from the pain of his aches 
then notices all the footprints on the floor. He is pleased to know that they are from Gage, but then notices that his medical bag is open and his scalpel is gone. Realizing what potentially happened, Gage begins laughing down down the hall. He calls to his son. In the kitchen, he searches for Gage, somberly looking around, then startled by the phone ringing. It is Irwin, checking in to see if Rachel made it in. He sees the footprints leaning outside. He uh, monotonically tells Irwin that he's uh, that she made it and she is fine. Irwin tells her tells him to put her on the phone so Ellie can speak with her because she is his in she is in hysterics about her mom. He moves toward the door, telling Aaron um, that Rachel is asleep. Irwin suggests to wake her up because Ellie had a bad dream that she's dead. Lewis tells him that he can't and hangs up the phone, then heads down in the basement. The phone rings again. He answers it, uh, thinking it's Irwin, yelling that he can't talk. It is Gage, telling him to come over to Judd's to play with him. He tells Lewis that he played with Judd, then Mommy, and they had an awful good time. And now he wants to play with him. He asks Gage what what he did. Gage laughs into the phone. L- uh, Lewis's, or excuse me, Lewis has his uh, his syringe with a sedative, and heads over to Judd's with a stake in uh, in his hand for church. I would have been going over with a knife. Yeah, like I get it. It's your son. It ain't your son anymore. You've exactly. heard that shit. Come on, man. Yeah, that's like <laughs> diabolical. What the fuck? Come on. Do you mind closing the windows for me? Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Church takes the bait, um, but hisses at Lewis. He puts on his gloves, provoking provoking the cat as he eats. He grabs him, giving him the sedation as he screams for the cat to die, grabbing his hind to check to see if the cat is no longer there. Um, I, you know, it's it's crazy because I, I really like how the cat is acting. But I really hate how much stress these animals must be put in for stuff like this. Hundred percent, I hundred really percent agree. Hate it so much. That's why I loved when it transitioned to like you can tell now it's just like a stuffed yeah thing. A stuffed cat yeah yeah. Uh, but before where like he kind of like grabs it with like the rubber gloves. I'm like, oh, that's still a cat. And yeah, like, that exactly. Sucks. And you can tell like, like it was not excited for it's him to come next it. to him with it's like, that. Yo, I'm not okay with this. Right. He goes into Judd's house looking for Gage. The environment swampy and decayed. He he calls for Gage, covering his nose from from the stench, asking what he's done. Then calling for his wife. Uh, excuse me. Then calling for his wife. He sees her shoe on the steps. He picks up her shoe. The environment back to normal. I love this. I love that whole change and that shift. Gage greets him, giggling that he scared him. Lewis pulls out the syringe, agreeing to play with Gage. He slowly moves up the stairs, listening for his son's pattering feet. Leading into the bathroom, he moves the curtain back, but nothing. Gage giggles as Lewis continues down the hall, carefully moving to Judd's room, seeing Rachel's purse on the ground and and the blood stains underneath the bed. He moves the covers, revealing Judd's torn bottom jaw, screaming from the sight and covering him back up. That is fucking intense. Gage cackles. Lewis gets back up in search of his son. Rachel drops down, hanging from the attic. Gage <sighs> above, laughing. Damn. Gage launches himself at Lewis, biting the biting the syringe of uh, biting the syringe out of his hand and slashes and slashes his chest. And like he literally launches at Lewis. Like, he, he does just, like dives at him that's hilarious <laughs> he, he fights he fights to get gage off of him finally being able to um finally able to throw him off and grab another syringe 
Gage gets back up, walking toward him with the scalpel. Lewis telling him to come come to him uh, with open arms. He stabs his son in the neck with the syringe. Gage frowning and crying, then walks away. I love this. No, no. fair. Right. Just like walks around the corner. It's like he just walks around the corner to die. <laughs> he stumbles and passes out. Um, cause, you know, children in horror is actually just really hard to pull off in general, though. Yeah. It's I tough. agree. That's and, tough. and they did a great job with this. They did. Yeah. Cut to Lewis pouring gas all over the house, then setting it ablaze, um, setting his son on fire as well. Uh it's interesting because like he like poured it all over his son probably because the line of the oil or gas like went straight to him. Yeah. So he, it was definitely intentional. He leaves out of the house carrying his wife in his arms, not acknowledging the burning house and the explosions that's coming out of it. Cool guys don't look at flames, man. True. Look at explosions. Pascal apologizes but pleads for him to make to not make it worse. Lewis tells him that he he waited too long with Gage but wants to try it again since Rachel is freshly dead. Shout out to Frankenstein. He walks he, he walks through Pascal as he shouts for Lewis to not do it. Lewis keeps walking down, down to the cemetery, promising Rachel that it will be all right. And I love how the house is like still on fire. Right. And, and like and no like, fire department. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. But yet the trucks are still just barreling down the road. And they're like, oh shit, that sucks. Yeah, pretty much. Not now night storms o- storms over uh excuse me now night storms over the ground with Judd's voice reiterating what he said about the man's heart being stonier. Lewis sits down in the kitchen shuffling cards as the bell tower rings. The the door unlocks and Rachel walks into the room dirty and bloody. Lewis smiles as she, as she appears in front of him, missing a piece of her skin, revealing that her eye is also missing from the socket, calling out to him. He goes over to kiss her as the pus oozes from her exposed eye. She grabs a knife off the table, leaving us with Lewis's screams then credits man this guy what the fuck and that's why i feel like one of the major themes in this too is like being able to let go of your loved ones after passing yeah absolutely and what happens when you don't come to terms with that that you can lead yourself into your own self-destruction right that's like damn good movie yeah dude it's just pretty much the the whole concept is don't be fucking selfish right you're not the only person who misses them sometimes dead is better sometimes dead is better Come on, like it's it, it's as tell as fucking old as time, right? Yeah, you know. It, I mean, this is a really good entry for people who want to jump into horror. I think too as a movie because mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's not film. too harsh, but at the same time, there's a lot of like lessons to be learned from this. I feel oh, there's yeah. a lot of stuff you can take away from this movie. I agree, and I feel like that's why it's a classic, and that's why it kind of hurts to think that the movie has like a fifty what percent fifty one percent fifty one percent. That boggles my mind a little bit. But as you yeah. said, it became a cult classic, and it got right. so popular that they even wanted to make a remake. So mm-hmm. it got its love eventually. Right, exactly. So it is what it is. But I got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts. Yeah. Bruce Campbell was the first choice for the role of Lewis Creed. Wow, that would have been a very different movie. That probably definitely would have been. The role of Zelda, Rachel's terminally ill sister, was played by a man. Director what? Mary Lambert wanted Zelda and her uh, scenes to be frightened, uh, to frighten the audience, but did not believe that a 13-year-old girl was scary. So she casted Andrew Hubbastek in the role to make something be off-put about Zelda. 
And that is interesting. Was. Yeah. yeah, it was. Definitely was. Stephen King was presented on, uh, excuse me, Stephen King was present on location for most of the shooting of the film. The area it was uh, shot in was only 20 minutes away from his home in Bangor, Maine. Wow. So that's the type of guy who lives out here. Yeah, that is. Oh, here we go. Stephen King is a big fan of the Ramones and referenced some of their songs in the novel Pet Cemetery. In homage, the Ramones wrote and performed the same song, Pet Cemetery, which is featured in the film's closing credits. The truck driver was also listening to Sheena is a, is a punk rocker by the Ramones. Fuck yeah. <laughs> in Stephen King's novel, Judd mentions that the dog went wild <clears throat> Excuse me. in a nearby town and killed several people. This is reference to the events of Cujo, another novel by King. It is common for characters in, in King's novels to mention the events of his other novels. I love that so, so much. So fucking cool. Let's see if we can get a, a nice juicy one here. Um... Uh, let's let's do this one. The scene where Pascal first visits Lu- uh, Lewis in the night was originally shot with star Dale uh, Midca- Midkiff, cl- um, clad only in jockey shorts. <laughs> of course. However, the scene was later reshot w- uh, with Midkiff wearing full pajamas. The filmmakers were concerned that Midkiff's attractive physique would diminish <laughs> the eeriness of the scene. You're correct. It would have <laughs> been very distracting. would have been very distracting. Um... Uh, since there wasn't CGI at the time, the cat's glowing eyes were done in camera. Cats, as it turns out, have a retina that reflects light. Not a lot of animals have this attribute, but cats do. The film crew put a light directly, uh, directly above the camera lens, so when, uh, there was, when they were shooting the cats, it would reflect into the camera. I love the camera work. Uh, so it's good. great. It's great. Um, Let's let's do this one. In the book, there are several callbacks to Stephen King's The Shining, some of which uh, carry over into the film. Victor Pascal calls Lewis Doc, which was Danny what? Torrance's nickname. And throughout the film, oh, right. it's uh, shown that the Creed family suffer from nightmares, visions, and premonitions, implying that they all have shining abilities. Yeah, The Shining is a metaphysical mechanic um, that Stephen King has utilized in many of his books, written substantially to that one as part of, um, lit- as part of the literary universe. <sighs> so fucking good. This is why we celebrate Stephen King. 100%. 100%. So great. Fucking percent. Um, so... We'll, we'll do one more. We'll do one more. At 5909, the house goes up in flames. Timmy Baderman shouts, love dead, hate living. This is the original line of The Bride of Frankenstein, as spoken um, hmm. by Boris Karloff as the monster. Timmy repeats the line a minute later or so. Fuck. Yeah. Great callbacks. What a great fucking movie, dude. It's oh, beautiful. This movie. Yeah. I'm really happy I was able to watch it for the first time and be able to knock this off because I do believe this is one of like the major classics. I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree. But let us know what you think about Pet Cemetery 1989 over on Twitter. We definitely want to keep this conversation going. We, we especially for Stevie King, what? Like, come on, let's celebrate yeah. Stevie King. His birthday is right around the corner. So let's continue celebrating Stephen King and his fantastic work. But the next movie that we are going to have on our list is The Dead Zone which I'm so excited to revisit. I haven't seen this fucking movie since I was a kid. I cannot wait. It's going to be my first time watch. 
I Can't figured wait. that. Yeah. There's probably going to be a lot of first time watches on this <laughs> list. Which I love. Let's <laughs> knock it out. I, have, yes. I need to. I There's need so to. many Stephen King movies that we can cover, so I'm excited for us to cover them. But let us know what you think about it or on Twitter at Nightlight underscore pod. The whole jazz, because we definitely want to keep this shit going. This was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we have Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. Our efforts to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's night with a what? Okay. But I pledge you on Patreon. You have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show involved. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is really least every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 